are about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. hear that it's time for worst gig ever hey everybody i'm mike pace i'm jeff garlock and this is the show where we talk to a lot of musicians and comedians and and just general entertainers people uh who like to entertain about the worst shows that they've ever had we get down to the nitty-gritty of the worst shows the worst gigs the worst auditions the worst jobs the worst of it all it's the best worst show you're gonna hear on the radio, we're not on the radio. <laughs> uh, this week, we have a phenomenal guest, pro wrestler Colt Cabana. Very excited. Graced us with his presence. The guy was was cool enough to come all the way to the green room. Didn't think it was going to happen. We got him all the way here from Chicago. We flew him in, actually. We flew him I, I in. Say Our that budget now. is great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm so glad we were able to work out because it was a fantastic conversation. It was uh, Colt came on. We talk about some of his worst wrestling shows. We talk about him spending months in the UK by himself, wrestling in a barn, wrestling on a tractor. We talk about uh, our shared love and history with early 90s WWF characters. We and talk we about. We see a lot of parallels between playing music, being a wrestler. The world. Exactly, because we're not wrestling guys. We're music guys. We're music guys. We're music guys who happen to love wrestling. And there are a lot of parallels between the worlds of pro wrestling and the worlds of music, especially when you're touring and you're kind of a journeyman guy and you're, you're slugging it out. Exactly. And Colt is definitely slugging it out. And it was a great episode. It's an episode that people should listen to a lot. It's great. We definitely talk a lot about the art of wrestling. And I'm not talking about Colt's amazing podcast called The Art of Wrestling, where exactly. you can, which you can find on iTunes. You can also find him uh, at his website. We love cult.com. He is on Twitter. This guy is this guy has taken social media by storm. We talk about the internet's presence in both wrestling and in music. It's great. There's a lot to love. I here. mean, speaking of the internet, we're on the internet. We are right now. Internet. We're on the internet, and you're listening to it most likely on the internet. And you should listen to more episodes and go to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Check mm-hmm. out all of our old episodes. Go to iTunes. We got all of them up there. We're on Stitcher we're on Radio. Stitcher. Now. Go to our Facebook page, Worst Gig Ever, with Jeff Garlic and Mike Pace. Give us some likes. Let's get into those comments. double digits. If you've got a bad story of your own, if you've got guest suggestions, email us at worstgigever at gmail.com. And then also, I mean, we've got so much ways to get a hold of us. Check us out on Twitter. We've got our own individual Twitter. What's yours? Mine? Oh, thank you for asking. Mine's at G Garlock. And mine's... Hey, what's yours? Thank you for asking. No problem. Mine's at Mike E. Pace. So basically what we're saying is we're around, guys. And Colt's around. And again, thank you to Colt for being so cool to come out and and do the show. We had a blast. We think you're going to love the way you look when you listen. It's worst gig ever. It's interesting when you talk about worst gigs. When people think worst gigs, I think automatically they think, okay, the the least amount of people in the crowd, right? Sure. Sure. 
I mean, I, that's kind of like the first thing that, that came to my mind. But so I remember I was, I was touring England in 2004. I was there for three months. And at the time, I was kind of like a, a nice little American wrestling name. Like people <laughs> knew who I was. Uh-huh. Only because of the internet, and like, thank God for the fucking internet, right? Because I, I still, I've barely been on television, right. you know. Although I make, a, I made a nice little living here, and uh, so I would get like a little more money than the British guys, and like the British people were were happy to see me over there. Mm-hmm. And I remember I did this show in front of like six people, and I was like, here I am on tour in England, and I was working every night at these Butlins camps, which is I call them like the ghetto Disneyland's, uh-huh. and. Uh, they're like vacation place, places over there when you can't afford to leave England. Right. And, and they have wrestling, but right. it's like awful, you yeah, know? Right, right. But there's a guy who does the gig. So anyways, I, I'm wrestling every night and in there, there's like a thousand people. So you're wrestling in front of a thousand people every single day. Uh-huh. Nobody has a clue who you are. You're just like the local entertainment, but it's still as a performer. Those experiences are amazing to do right. that every single day for three months. But one of these shows was an offshoot and it was in front of six people and. And I just remember every how down everybody in the uh, in the locker room was. Right. How depressed they were, and they're like, "This is our life. This is what we do." And you got to think about it: six, seven people. There's fourteen people, fifteen people in the locker room. Yeah. A ring that costs minimum of like a thousand dollars to rent. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, just on top of everyone's fees and whatever. And but I I remember I wrestled this guy Ross Jordan, and and I made sure to just like have the great. And I know this is this completely. Flips the script on everything, but I, I had the greatest time playing uh-huh. to those six specific people. Yeah. And I, my did that, you know, so many people were just going through the motions and we gave those six people the most fun time they've ever had. Right. And, uh, I, I think, and, and my problem, what I, what I think about is like, I get embarrassed. Do you guys get embarrassed for crowds sometimes? How oh, of course. I, of course. Yeah. Yeah. D- yeah. So like if if I especially yeah. if I like I've been not promoting shows lately but like I've been trying to like kind of promote some comedy wrestling shows right and I the reason I don't is because I I, I just cry if there was only six or seven people out and sure yeah. I'd just be the worst feeling ever I think so I, I I think everyone was kind of embarrassed for those people and I was embarrassed for them because like oh like this is what you think wrestling is <laughs> right. or, or just this is gonna be so right. weird and uh yeah and I think the key was to take away the embarrassment there. <laughs> For that, for that specific gig, but it, it's always etched in my mind is when someone's like, "What are the least amount of people you've wrestled in front of?" It's always like uh, numbers is a, is 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 not the is not the gauge because uh, there are uh, we've played plenty of fun shows like to three people. Well, I people. I think it depends. Yeah. Like when you get to a certain level and you can draw every night, right. and then it's it's not a question of whether or not people are going to be there. So that then becomes a whole new set of problems. Right. But w- both of us in our own bands. We're touring the UK in 2004. Oh, yep. Jeff was there for like three weeks, we which three is three weeks when you're supposed to do three <laughs> days as a band. Yeah, like three weeks maximum. in the UK is a really long time. Yeah, I did three months. Um, so I can't. I, God speaks to you. I'm like having like PTSD thinking about it, so I can't fathom how you're feeling. Kebab. I lived on yeah. kebabs. <laughs> yeah, oh, chicken kebabs. Donor. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had to stay, keep it healthy, so I did chicken. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I'll say this: I like, lived. I lived on those little uh, pasties from Tesco's. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Non-stop is all because we also had no. We got to the point where like, oh wait, we can't afford our yeah. per diems. Well, I was just, I, you know, the same way I was struggling myself. But yep. and my move was always go to Tesco, get a get a mm. large baguette. Yep. Uh, you slide, you you go upstairs to where they would do the deli section. You steal a knife from from there, <laughs> right. and so you can cut the baguette, and you steal uh, mustards also. Yep. Yeah. So you can, uh, and then you get the deli meat, which is like a, a pound thirty-five. 
and uh, and and, uh, and a giant water, and that was my lunch. You're for... your plowman's lunch. Yes. <laughs> I gotta say that's not that far. I, when we were on tour with Orchid, the other band, this band, the Red Scare, that we were on tour with, they would always make mustard tacos. Okay. Which was they would buy a loaf of white bread with the band, a thing of mustard, and then to save money, too, just one slice of bread, put mustard on it, fold it. Oh, nice. That was the meal. Yeah. Just well, a mustard but sandwich. This, this sandwich, th- that, and that though yours sounds delicious. The baguette was so good. <laughs> yeah, that's I, it was. A, it was a fine dining for me. That's the thing. Tesco is a great oh place. My, like, the food is. I remember <laughs> going there and seeing all those the pre-made sand, the watercress and yeah, egg yeah, yeah. sandwiches right. and the little sleek plastic thing. Expensive. I, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially I do in the know, gar- garages. And <laughs> especially around that time when uh, I think that when the when the the pound it was, was a killing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do know what you're talking about with feeling embarrassed. Just, I was thinking of, we did this one comedy show. Uh, it was like a music roundtable comedy show. It was midnight at UCB, but it was like poorly advertised by us. So there were four people. But you I can think, blame UCB crowd. on that, right? Uh, I would like to, but really it was on my <laughs> Uh, but there were four people, and also then, like, the other guests on it decided to up the ante and get everyone to come on stage to listen to the Flaming Lips record that's four CDs. Oh, and, put, and put I could hear at one point, as we had four boombox going, two of the people going, Oh, my God. <laughs> no, we've got to stay. And I, and I was like, we'll just keep playing. Oh. <laughs> Make them stay there well, and enjoy I, it. I think there's that. It depends on what your attitude. Sometimes, like you said, like you get you get there and it's like, well, there, there's not going to be anyone here tonight, but we're going to put on the best fucking show yeah. we've ever Because it's like, it doesn't matter how many people are there. Is ever. that decision made beforehand? I, that, I'm going to yeah. say that period, <laughs> the, the, the 10 minutes before <laughs> on stage when you're looking out the curtain and you're <laughs> peeking and maybe they're going like, yeah, you can go grab them right. and like have the greatest show ever in front of three people. But right. that ten minutes before, I still think every performer is like, "This <laughs> yeah. is fucking pathetic." Yes, yeah. I don't know. Well, because you start questioning everything. What am I doing? Yes. Why am I doing this still? How did I get here? I should be doing a better. Like I clearly was doing other ones. Right. Like it's my fault that this is fucked yes. up. Not their fault. Yeah, uh, and that's when you have to like work some real hard therapy stuff on yourself. Self therapy. Like, All right, <laughs> ten minutes. I got to really work my brain. But and then there's the added thing, especially when you're playing in a band, you're schlepping all of this gear <laughs> around, and that's actually one of the things I, I wanted to ask you. So you're in the UK for three months, mm-hmm. and essentially it's just you, right? You, yeah. You don't have anything to bring. So are you traveling with other guys? How are you getting around? Oh, there. I'll, I'll hit that. In a, I, I'll, I have this argument a lot, and I guess it's interesting with the bands. I think this because I think to myself all the time as a wrestler, mm-hmm. um, I get frustrated because you need to bring a five thousand pound wrestling ring to a show, and I'm always <laughs> salty that comedians right. can just go up. But me, the wrestler, I only have to bring my wrestling gear and my and my merchandise bag, which is usually way, three times the size of the <laughs> gear yeah, bag. Right. Um, and I, I do get better against stand-ups a lot of time, only because I will have that, like you're saying, where you're just like, God damn it. So you should just be doing that because all you got to do is show up anywhere and talk. I saw, I went and saw Guar. Right. And I, all I could think about. Oh, forget about, yeah. The logistics. Right. It's all I could think about. And especially right. when they were starting out. Yeah. You know, like when they didn't have the money to do it. Right. The f- so, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was based in Liverpool. Around Liverpool is called mm-hmm. Birkenhead. The yeah. promoter, Birkenhead. the Birkenhead. <laughs> the uh, promoter had a had a house up there that he would stick all the the foreigners in, and whoever wanted to stay up there for the night or whatever. 
It's called the Digs. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and and so I mean, I went over there with all my shirts and you know maybe two big suitcases and two kind of medium suitcases. Oh, merch! I didn't even think about and merch. merch. Is a, yeah, it's yeah. big. A lot of it was suitcase. And at that time, I wasn't as merch heavy as I am right. now. So it was just like maybe a big bag of merch, and then a big bag of clothes, and then wrestling, and then miscell- miscellaneous. But yeah, I got to stick all kind of. I got to post a lot of my stuff in the digs, uh-huh. and then we would travel around the whole country, knowing that I kind of had a place to go back to. But uh, I, you know, I it'd be hard if I didn't have a place. Right. Although. I, I've told this story before. I went to England uh, in 2004. I quit my full-time job as a teaching assistant mm-hmm. because now I, I felt I was making more money uh, as a wrestler, which was I think nine thousand dollars a year, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to my teaching assistant gig, right. which I think was seven thousand dollars a year. Um, and I and so I was like, or it might have even been like maybe I was making five thousand as a wrestler, but I was like, I fit. I think I could survive. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, and I remember mapping it out, like moving to, I could move to Chicago mm-hmm. and mapping out like, okay, I need to make $700 a month and I'll be fine. Right. And that broke down to, I need to make $50 a wrestling show and sell a hundred dollars in merchandise and have, you know, have five shows a month right. or whatever. Like that's what I broke it down to. And, you know, every month I made an extra 50 bucks. It's like, then I can okay, good. Next month I I don't have to hustle as hard to make sure you know I can I can sit on that. Um, so I I had now to be a I could be a full time professional wrestler, right. and uh, I had gone over. I'd been flown over to England the year before. I had to take vacation. I had to take sick days course, for yeah, my yeah. teaching job. Yep. I think personal days. Sure. And I told the principal I was like, which is funny. There's another wrestler in New York who, who's notable. Got in trouble for. He got in a lot of trouble for taking personal days as a teacher oh, really? to do a WWE tryout. And he later got uh-huh. hired. His name is Matt Stryker. Right. And it was a big thing in the, in the, and I was friends with him on the independent scene at the time. Right. Yeah. It was a big thing in the New York press at the time. And that's kind of how he got his job is I think they felt bad for him because he got right. in so much trouble. <laughs> and so, and we talked about it a lot. So, but luckily my principal, he didn't care. Uh, <laughs> I was only working with special needs kids, right? Oh, that's the- <laughs> yeah, cool. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I talked to that promoter and he's like, yeah, you know, I'll get you. He, he got this, uh, wrestling store to agree to pay for my ticket as long as I did four appearances over there. And he just got me an open ended ticket, uh, from August to November, I think. And I was just like 24, 23. I, I don't know. I just assumed it all work out. I literally went there with like five dates. I had five shows and I went with 50 bucks. And I just assumed like, oh, I'd make money. But like (laughs) looking back on it, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever done. But uh, it really sounds like my UK tour. Yeah. I mean, the parallels between because we're 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 the same age. And, you know, we were we were also both of our bands were touring around the same time that you were starting out going overseas and doing stuff. And the things that you will do. Because it's kind of your first time right. to do it. It doesn't like when we first started touring in the U.S., which was also 2004. It didn't matter to drive. We would do a 14-hour drive sure. from Oklahoma to Indiana to play a show the next day, yeah. or from you know Los Angeles to Albuquerque or some Fakakta thing. Going to be great. <laughs> played in boys. I played yeah. in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Two six people, yep. including two 10-year-old boys, uh, a couple on a date, and two other girls. Played a 20-minute version of Proud Mary by Credence 
and slept there. Yeah. Boise played <laughs> yeah. three people because yeah. they advertised the wrong day and the other band we were on tour with wouldn't go on. Because oh <laughs> they were from Norway and they are like, we won't do this. This is stupid. Uh, and there's at least 10 people out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, uh, but that's what you do because you're, you're young. So yeah. You're just like, well, of course like I'm going to do this. Why wouldn't you do this? Had that been your first time going over there too? Uh, that was, well, like I said, I'd gone over for a weekend. Right. Okay. But... but you know, you don't look at that time. I looked like, man, thinking about it, like some people go over there going like, this is my time. I'm young. Right. This is when we do it. Right. I thought I was basically about to retire. I thought I was like the oldest wrestler in the game at that point. <laughs> right. 24. I've missed my mark. Like, right. I'm not going to be a star at all. I guess I'm just going to go. Here's where the work is, I guess, you know, <laughs> and like thinking back, like oh, those were great memories. And yeah, it was just kind of carefree doing whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, like I didn't, I didn't have that in my mind at all. Right. I was just like, oh, this is what I do. I'm a wrestler. I'm working. Uh, you know, I, I can work full time over here, not in America for the most part. In some ways, I almost feel like that's like I almost like some days think I need to recapture that a little bit more of just like I'm just a musician, I'm just a comedian. Like <laughs> it's and, what like, I not, do, man. Not analyze it so much just because like I'm not gonna change. You know what I mean? Like it's like I that it that kind of innocence of when I was 24, right? Where I was just like I'm in a band, whatever. I go yeah. on tour, like. But now you're like, oh, no, I'm grown an adult. And in 10 years, right. you're going to be like, at this age, right. oh, shit, I was exactly. doing, I was a kid and I was and an it's idiot. The, yeah. it's, I think it's the problem of like the, you know, the middle class value system of like, well, all my other, my, my normal friends are like yeah. getting houses in the town next to my hometown. And like, do you, but then I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Do, I, I don't have so much of that, but I, a lot of, I always think of like, oh, my wrestling career is going to be over because of, because the age of a wrestler. Sure. And I don't know if that works the same as like sometimes that my buddy's uh, a rapper and he's usually like, well, like no one's going to sign a 38 year old rapper, a 38 year old right. white rapper, you know. And so like that's his way of being the same. So like, you're friends with Eminem. Yeah. That's what you're saying. <laughs> he, yeah, he's, yeah, he keeps on saying that. <laughs> um, but I like it one day. I, mean, I, might, I got it. I got a good feeling here. <laughs> Just dye your hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Again. That's all you need to do, brother. But, uh, but my yeah. my body will physically break yes, down right. when I feel uh, a poet or an artist or a musician or a comedian. And maybe that's just my own. Maybe I have blinders on. No, no, no. I think I have that that I put on. I think I put that stress on comedy maybe too much. Music, I do think there's like. I think there's a little bit, especially in the punk world, there's more of a shelf life of just like, oh, you're the old guy. In the and it's band. funny. Who's, who's broke late? Is there guys that like, that, those are my favorite stories. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know who's one is, uh, is, is Ted Leo. Yeah. Who, you, who, Ted Leo's a guy who played in like, like underground punk bands in his like early twenties, but as kind of like a solo guy, he didn't really get cracking until his late thirties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. so it definitely ha- I mean, what's interesting though is, Putting it in that perspective, I look back on a lot of the guests that we've had on our show, and it's a lot of our friends, are, and they're people that have played in bands around the same time that we were playing in bands, you know, that aren't playing in bands anymore because people are, you know, it's kind of like you turn 30, you life enter a new chapter in your life, you get married, you have kids, you you fit, you, you're, you decide, I can't fucking sleep on another Right, f- but if you come to floor. terms that you're going to die a- alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you can a, just wrestle as long as you there's want. There's an inevitability <laughs> for all of us, no matter how much love we find now, yeah. we're going to rot Yeah. So I've come to terms with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk to, because I'm kind of fascinated by the current 
like independent wrestling scene. And I'm like, I'm a huge fan of 70s and 80s NWA, you know, WWE. I you say the decades. I, and, and no, the decades is, oh. as well. We're just talking years. 71? I was, oh, no. That was a great year. year for the world. It was. Um, great year for the WWF in 71. So, and, you know, I'm fascinated by the, you know, the, the, the era of the territories. Mm-hmm. And for the listener, that's before, you know, the WWE kind of monopolized you tell everything. me to not make it so specific. Well, no, here now you are. <laughs> Territorial <laughs> mid-Southern wrestling. That's why I countered it with get specific. <laughs> yeah. It goes there. Well, because, look, we're not behold. Promotional consideration paid for by no one. So, so we can't. Except Vince McMahon. Uh, exactly. Uh, this one's going to really? Vince. Yeah, no, hey, Vince, it's me, Cole. Do you remember, do you remember me? <laughs> So, I appreciate everything, man. I think for a lot of people, they, they think of uh, contemporary pro wrestling and they think of WWE, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there is a – and then beyond Ring of Honor and, and TNA, you have this whole network of these indies all over the place. And I was wondering if you could talk to that in terms of – I mean, it, are there still kind of these last vestiges of – the territory system in this new re- or like independent thing that's going on. I mean, on? I usually say that I, I'm. If you want to describe me, you say, imagine if Bruiser Brody had a Twitter account. <laughs> that's what I say. And Bruiser Brody was one of these guys in the territorial wrestling who made like an unbelievable living, but he was never a star. And people, mm-hmm. there's rumors and mumblings that he was supposed to be one of the guys that Hulk Hogan was supposed to uh-huh. beat up at WrestleMania 2 instead of King Kong Bundy, you know, like, but he never, he was just in Japan. He was huge in yeah. Japan, huge in Puerto Rico. Uh, he traveled all over the world, made like an unbelievable living, but just not a household name, but to the wrestling geek, uh, you know, Bruiser Brody, Brody was the man. Mm-hmm. He was, sure, he was right. a true journeyman. Yeah. And so, I think it's weird. It's hard for – I'm a weird case because that's the life I'm living, but I think I'm a big rarity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like to think that those territorial days were – and back in the territorial days, right, you, you lived in Minnesota and you did Minnesota and Iowa and North Dakota. And then when you got stale, you moved to Florida and you did Florida and Atlanta. And then when you got stale there, you went <laughs> and so on and so forth. And because there wasn't an internet back right. then, you had no – people in New York had no idea yep. really what was going – if you it wasn't on TV. Was. Yeah, it was very it was very regionalized. You yeah. be, and you became a fresh – right. And yep. you revived your career. Right. And those people would have to move their families and – you know, on my podcast, I love talking to the older guys who did this stuff because I'm, you know, like, what did your kids do? And like, you had to, right. you had to be like a horrible father, you know, <laughs> yeah. to just move your family yeah. constantly. And it's, yeah. it's so selfish, you You're know. Set up therapy for your kids. Yeah, right? Right. Come on, missing link, dad. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah at, at the uh, at the barnyard wrestling shows, they had a, a therapist in the corner yeah. for the children. Right, of course, <laughs> children of all wrestlers. Um, yeah, so I mean, nowadays, no, it's it's one-off shows right. until you can sign a contract or someone signs you to some kind of contract. Except for a, a handful of people, I'm lucky enough to be one of those. Well, I wouldn't say I'm lucky enough. God damn, I fucking worked my balls <laughs> yeah. off, you know, to be where I'm at. But um, yeah, now not so much. It's people dying to get that developmental contract from WWE, which isn't, which is what I took years ago. Yeah. Which, uh, which is, doesn't say you go to WWE. It says, Hey, we'll put you in our farm league. You'll make a couple hundred bucks a, a week. Right. And, uh, maybe one day you'll be, uh, famous, but right. the odds are against you, even though we've signed you already to a contract. And so I think that's kind of the new territory, but they stick them all in a little place in Florida. And 
in the back in the day, you would wrestle all these guys from all different places, and you would just—it's just like you would be inf- if if you want to break it down to music, it's just you'd be influenced by all these different bands that you went and saw and played with and talked with in different locker rooms right. mm-hmm. or different uh, what would you uh, green rooms backstage, yeah. backstage. backstage. alleys yeah. right yeah. alleys yeah, exactly. basements yeah. if you will yeah yeah if it's the North Star Bar and filled yeah. up yeah. Yeah. alley yeah so <laughs> now they're taking that experience but they're putting them in just one place and and they and they're all being taught the same way right and so the beautiful the beauty of wrestling which is the variety and the difference and the obscurity, uh, and not the, the corporate, uh, Walt Disney way of making a professional right. wrestling. That's being taken away. Because of the homogenization. It's a big word, of, but I yeah. think that's exactly <laughs> I right. Think I, wait, that's, we're on the same you're talking about milk, right? Yes. Yeah. We're just talking about milk this whole time. So the thing I like about milk. Uh, but it is like, it does not like, cause it, yes, it's like with the internet, that same thing happened to punk stuff where it's like at one point, like when we were growing up, it was like San Diego. Like, San Diego has a very distinct sound. Like, you know, Portland, Oregon yeah. has a very distinct right. sound. New York has And you would find out about it through fanzines You'd find and out stuff through fanzines like and, like, bands coming through uh, and from other places. And now it's like, there are still, you know, those pockets. Yeah. But they're, it's a little bit easier to be like, well, there's more of, like, a grand, like, punk or, like, mm-hmm. hardcore or wrestling. You know? And I can't knock it. Yeah. Because the internet saved my life. Sure. Yeah. Saved my life. But there's a little, there's a, there's romance yeah. in, in those olden ways. But I, I did, I did this, I got this email out of left field in Chicago and, um, uh, about, uh, performers mm-hmm. coming together. It was called a, a junto. Okay. I don't know, man. For the yeah. listener, we don't know what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even pronounce a junto. I was, right. I was calling it a, a, a junto because right. I, I thought it was a hard J. Uh-huh. When I got there, they're like, welcome to the junto. <laughs> uh, it was a group of, you know, uh, performers and smart people putting on this discussion of talk or whatever. Right. And, uh, uh, there was a guy who, there was a couple people from the circus. There were some dancers. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And it was a bike ride away. So I was like, all right. I'll get on my bike and sure. I'll go to this thing. You know, what's the worst that can happen? And, and, and while talking, uh, a lot of them were, I, I thought it was, we we're going to talk about how we use the, the, I'm sorry, the discussion was live performers and the internet. So I thought the discussion was going to be, Hey, how do we all use the internet to benefit our live performances? Right. Let's all trade things. And when I got there, it was, it was actually everyone kind of being like, Oh, the internet's, uh, you know, ruining the live performance and everybody starts kind of, starts kind of bashing right, it. Right. And, and at the same time, I'm like, I, I could think this way, but it's, it's allowed, the internet has oh, allowed me. Right. Yeah. And I, I can't think that way because it's, like I said, why would I go to England in 2003 if somebody on a message board that watched me in Louisville, Kentucky in a barn every single week, speaking right. of shit gigs, right. uh, you know, <laughs> if they hadn't gone on a message board yeah. to somebody in England and been like, this guy's great, and them talking, and then all of a sudden a promoter in England. I mean, that, that does, what was going to happen, through mail? Right. You know? <laughs> I think it's like, it's like one of those, uh, I was thinking about this before I even came over here. It's like those, it's one of those traps that I think humanity can fall into of the things used to be better. Things were always better when we were younger. Things were better mm-hmm. back in the day. And it's uh-huh. like, things were just different. Right. Like, yeah. some things were better. Some things were. I, and I was thinking in terms of, like, 
oral histories. Like there's like oral history of like Saturday Night Live. I was thinking in terms of oral Hershiser. And oral Hershiser. Like when you're talking to oral surgery, actually. Because it's like, you know, everyone wants to say when I was doing it, it was better. Yeah. When there were less people involved. It's like it was just different. Like that's just the way it works. Like because there are pluses and minuses to the Internet. But to say like, you know. But I, I can speak for both of us when I say that our bands wouldn't have gone anywhere if it weren't you know the entire relationship with the label with the booking agent mm-hmm. with getting you know it's all that's just the way we conduct right. business I mean, and live our lives I, I, god i yeah. louis ck sends out one tweet conan <laughs> sends out one you know what i'm saying right, like yeah. it's i just looked up junto by the way oh it seems sketchy yeah <laughs> it just seems to be about libertarianism and objectivism it was yeah <laughs> I, I, listen if it wasn't that bike right away <laughs> yeah, i hear you it was I a rand paul effect yeah, exactly um, uh, but, oh, I was going to talk about yeah, uh, yeah. When when I first started wrestling, we would go down to this barn in in, in Kentucky. It was uh, right outside Kentucky. You need the promoter that I wrestled for, Ian Rotten. Mm-hmm. He had got he had Court, been yeah. he had been kicked out of Kentucky because he was a, a hardcore wrestler, ECW guy. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mean like the hardcore punk scene. I no, mean like uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, barbed wire. He was known Taipei death. He was known yeah. for the Taipei death yeah. match, which was the which was. Which I always thought was awesome, and I was like, "No way, he got that from Kickboxer." And he's like, "Oh yeah, we got that from Kickboxer." Oh, really? <laughs> they they tape the wrist, amazing, and yeah. they put and they they put the glue on the wrist, yes. and they put the uh, the broken glass. Everything yeah. should be based on yeah. <laughs> I can watch everything based on Bloodsport. All the I watched Bloodsport the other day. <laughs> Googling Sunny Beach, looking at Bloodsport. I listen to the theme of Blood uh, Bloodsport while I run. That's my Kumite. <laughs> Kumite. Su- yeah. I was yeah. Everyone was so impressed that I was singing that I knew the song. Yeah, <laughs> I know every. And word. not to not to get off. Track, but like uh, Teddy Hart is one of the cousins of Brett the Hitman Hart, uh-huh. and Tyson Kidd is a wrestler in WWE, and he was explaining why he liked, uh, I think it was ECW as a kid, and Teddy was like, "It's like Bloodsport," right. and I was like, "Man, that might be why I like wrestling, yeah, because I loved Bloodsport so much." Yeah. I don't know, like <laughs> my love, yeah, it's it, Street Fighter too. So, okay, so but you're 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 Sorry. wrestling for Ian Rock. Yeah, and yep. so he got kicked out of Kentucky. So right on the border, literally, it goes uh, exit one. You know, Kentucky <laughs> exit one. We're wrestling in, in this garage that he had right. that he had rented out, and he had made this. And what's crazy is that the the things that become famous and become notorious is that this became like kind of a known building a little bit in wrestling right. because of all the great stuff that came out of it and like so many guys came out of there when they were young and now have become huge stars you know punk uh chris hero I and mean, the list goes on and on of guys who were there but that's where we every single uh wednesday and saturday for the most part that summer of 2000 um uh i would we would drive six hours Every single Wednesday, wow. six hours there, and we wouldn't get a hotel. Sure. We'd drive back the next night. That, that was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> that was the gig. And I think now, I think it's funny, we would ask for $25 in trans. Right. We would get the trans money, 25 bucks <laughs> nowadays. I, I mean, yeah. I guess whatever. It's, I guess 75 isn't that big from 25, but. Um, 25 is a good half a tech. Y- yeah. Uh, yeah. And that would get us there and back. In 1996. That would get us yeah. there and back. Yeah. And uh, I remember the, fir- the first time we went, I-, I was so excited to wrestle in this barn. Uh-huh. But. Um, <laughs> But what happened was the fire marshal had came the week before and he had to move it to the outside. So essentially I was a backyard wrestler. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Like that was those, I was backyard wrestling in, in this, in the backyard of a barn and little, and out right on the outskirts yeah. of Louisville, Kentucky. Right. And again, those shows 
were awful. I watched a man. I watched a, a man get thrown into a, a table on fire. Right. And um. And so he, was it Balls Mahoney? Uh, no, it was Richard X. Oh, of course. He was, he, yes. <laughs> the show's going out to Richard X. <laughs> we hardly knew you. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> two second and third degree burns. I think. Oh, in front Dick of X. in front of thirty people, God. and I was like, I remember we sat. It was me, my, uh, CM Punk, Ace Steel, our trainer. Uh, and I think Dave Prezak and we, we sat, we were sitting on a pickup truck. Right. In the bed of a pickup truck, like 20 yards out from the ring. Cause remember, we're in a backyard. Yeah. yeah. And it just, was backyard. yeah. And just being like, what the <laughs> fuck? And like a little bit of me was like, oh, that was awesome. Right. But, uh, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, those, those, and I, we, we did those shows for a year, year and a half, two years, uh, in the barn in Louisville. That, oh, that, that's amazing. That's a perfect segue into, my fascination with blading, which for the listener, blading is when a wrestler will use a small piece of razor <laughs> to extract blood from their from their skin. Um, or if you're Damien from Fucked Up. Or if you hit yourself in the yes. head. Whatever. Damien uh, Abrams. Yeah. Big fan of mine. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. He's a sure. huge wrestler. Damien's guy. great. We used to, I used to tour with his bands uh, and we used to hang out a lot he, back he, in the day. Yeah, he did. I had this like big article in the Chicago Reader and he did like quotes for it. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Last Is time, it- I remember last time we actually, we probably watched one of your matches just because it was one of those, he was so happy we were there. We weren't even on tour, but we were in Toronto and he kept us up all night putting in more and more like VHS tapes. Oh, he sounds Like Japanese wrestling and then like old classic matches. I remember like it was like five in the morning. I'm dying. I was like, <laughs> we still got to drive like to the show, man. And he was so psyched. He had already, he, we went out at two in the morning to get the biggest big gulp I'd ever seen. <laughs> that, that's a soft spot in my heart. Yeah. And the same with um with Lars from Rancid. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I said this before, is he's... Our friend Chris from Editors, also a huge mark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Damien's <laughs> a great guy. This, yeah, you know what? So this episode's going out to Damien and Richard X. Yeah. But Lars would get the, to, right? Lars is this giant, over like huge dude. Yeah. I, I, right? Thousands of people go to his shows. He's an icon. And, and, and to know that he has, he buys these obscure tapes from Japan right. and Mexico. And it's like, wait, you're, this is my world. He's like, I'm in it too, man. Right. You know, like, right. I. Yeah, I just, Great. you don't I, think that these guys yeah. take the time to, to go to Smart Mark Video in order yeah, to Yeah, no, Damien was like the biggest, like, he would like gush about wrestling. Like, yeah, cool. Like, and I loved it too, yeah. but he was just like clearly like new so yeah, he's much a, more. But this is probably the only opportunity that I'll get that I can think of now to well, ask an I'm, actual wrestler. Yeah, but I might stop you. Uh, I don't know, like. Well, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, ba- okay, it, let me, let me see how I can phrase it. This is, this is. This I'm not going to tell you how I open, how I cut open the box. And, no, and, no, 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 no. That's the girl gets sawed in half here. But no, that's, that's fine. But the idea <laughs> that. <laughs> we're going to train after this. <laughs> The, okay, th- th- this is the the fascination that I have. That the idea that especially in like the seventies and eighties, in the territory days, and these guys are driving around, and the shows are maybe not televised, or if they are, it's it's local or it's cable, and and they're performing in kind of these like kind of dirty rings, and they're you know bleeding and they're, they're getting paid, to and they're, they're next to no one, and they're they're essentially it's it's kind of it's it's almost like this kind of you know mutilation. Of you know your forehead, your your visage, if you will. No, I won't. And, I have no clue. That means. <laughs> your, or your, <laughs> your face. I will not. <laughs> <It's>, 
Uh, okay, so it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me that, you know, you look at like Dusty Rhodes, you know, or New Jack or one of these guys, and they're so distinct looking, and they did it because they love what they do. But it's almost it's like it's a hazard also because it's their living. That's right. the thing. Yeah, it's that the, the hazard of the uh, of of the job where you're. This is this is your phys- You're changing your physical appearance. Well, because also piggybacking off of that the other story at the but like there's also and, and you can, there's a lot to address. But it sounds like there's also like the guys who will like burn themselves for like twenty people because there's that. I mean, just like music, just like comedy. There's also like the people who've got like. Something loose. Sure. Like, you know, yeah. there's both the people doing it for their job. Yeah. And there's people who are just like, this is what I do because I got nothing else going on. <laughs> the, the guys in the 70s, 70s and 80s and the 60s to a little bit of an extent yeah. w- that are doing it every single night, uh, they're doing it every single night because there are crowds there. Right. And, yeah. and they are and – the, and They've realized that if they do that, they get up, that they get more of a reaction, that people like them more or dislike them more. And for that meanings that the, the, the booker, the promoter will want them on their show. Uh, I, I do, I really believe that. And, and again, you know, this is, I think I have a little better perspective because I've been in the job 15 years now. Uh, and, and pick these guys' brains, but I, I do believe they did it, uh, not maybe at first job security. Uh, or just, you know, knowing that they're gonna climb, have a bigger spot on the card. And I know people think territories, maybe back in the seventies and those were smaller shows. Some, I mean, those, you talk to the guys that wrestled the Memphis Loop, which was sure. Evansville and Louisville mm-hmm. and Nashville and Memphis, uh, and around that loop. I mean, they were doing 10,000 people a night. Yeah. Monday, yeah. Wednesday, Tuesday, you know, maybe Wednesday and Thursday was, uh, three or 4,000 people. But when you start, you know, Thinking about this wasn't Monday Night Wrestling. This was a ring which they owned because yeah. they, you know, and there wasn't any spyro or strobes, right? And, or even probably guardrails. <laughs> it was a piece of string around the ring. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So when you think about it, it's five bucks a ticket back in the 70s or whatever. You know, the ex they they have a loop that's been go- that goes around the same loop every single. So they have the expenses. They have it all down to a pack. Somebody's making money there, and they know the guys that are higher on the card are making higher money and that's how it's worked in wrestling for so long mm-hmm. and the higher on the card you are maybe the you know if somebody stabs you with uh breaks open a, a chair and stabs you with that chair and you're gushing all over the place and, and then a little old lady is crying her eyes out right. and, and the people see the emotion of that lady and the emotion of, of the extent of, of that performance or whatever uh, then you know that you've got something and they're going to be back next yeah, week to right. see if that guy can get that and that's what that blood back in that day was all about is how do we get them back next sure. week right and that yeah. literally that's all how and that's the question of wrestling for so long right. how do we get them back next week yeah it's a fucking carnival it's yeah. literally carnival games. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that's... But also a carnival that has been able to do it. Like, you know, found a way, like, after all these years to get people to come mm-hmm. back. And more and more people come back. Which is, like, one of the most impressive parts of wrestling. And, a, me, yeah, actually, know? it's and also per, something else that I wanted to talk about is that transition from, like, 70s, early 80s to the WWF that we grew up on. And this yeah. tra- what appeared to me to be this transition from from kind of more adult-themed entertainment to family friendly types and the way it really blew up in the mid 80s well the mid 80s was family yeah yeah the the late 90s was adult and then yeah then it goes back but that first time it switched like when you watch those early um you know or those late 70s uh you know nwa matches and it's all like just 
adults and old women in the crowd. Right. And then like about like 84, 85. Well, I, my, I, my first thought is always color. That's all I think about. Right. And I don't mean color TV or African American. <laughs> I don't mean the junkyard dog. I, uh, <laughs> SD drones. Yeah. <laughs> but WWE, I mean, I just, you think of the bright, bright sure. colors. Yeah. And that's, and I don't know, I'm not, I don't even know if this is where you're going or whatever, but I'm just. It's definitely not. But that's the switch of, of old time raggedy wrestling and then bright colors, which I think is, uh, you know, uh, Teletubbies, uh, yeah. Power Rangers. Right. It's just marketing. It's right. kids marketing. And whether, I, you know, I gotta assume Vince McMahon knew what he was doing. Yeah. Is, He's clearly a genius. Yeah. Yellow and, <laughs> yellow and red and, and, uh, Hulk Hogan and, and the, the bright blue skirt right. of the wrestling ring as opposed to the dingy old, you know, <laughs> worn out green one that the NWA would Stains use on, TBS. on it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and so, I mean, I, I think that was, I mean, it's got to be such a huge development in the span in the history of wrestling is Vince McMahon deciding that like you know to to get those other viewers we can make this something that the whole fan like we we direct this towards a younger audience because sure. like you said when you we know? when I started watching when you start watching probably when you start what like that's that's what I remember like my first memories are WWF yeah. like going over to my my dad's best friend like Wazalewski's because they would rent. <laughs> The, the loose, the loose man. The loose would get WrestleMania every year, and then he would get every pay per view because he was a big fan. It was like his old army buddy who also liked wrestling. Yeah. And so that's what I grew up on. Like yeah. I can remember, I was like six, five, watching it. Like, well, but I don't, I didn't know anything about. I was just like, this is wrestling, but this is it. There's nothing else. Well, like I, when you're a kid, I, I, I think there's a. I did a podcast uh, with Hillbilly Jim. Nice. Oh, and if you, great. Great the, if you listen to the opening monologue, I kind of go off a bit about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that Hillbilly Jim's – I just remember it was the Hillbilly Jim episode. Right. Um, and it's that uh, wrestling, what they're doing now – and a little bit of uh, Hornswoggle was on my show. He's a, mm-hmm. a, a little person wrestler. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it – like there's millions of kids that love it. Right. Just like you and I when we were kids. Right. So we can't be upset that like, hey, why isn't it for me? Like right, you right. need to do this. It's like no, like – Okay, they're not going to change it, but those kids love it. They yeah. love John Cena. That's for them. Like yeah. you have to go and find your wrestling if you still want to be with it's wrestling. It's the same as the internet with the Junto. Like where it's just like Junto, I Junto. Junto. This is a new it's a it's this isn't maybe it isn't your thing yeah. anymore. But if you want to embrace it, you can. Find or yours. you find your section of the internet yeah. or your wrestling. And that's what it is. The independent independent wrestling. You know, I, I, I wrestle for Lucha Vavoom, right. which is burlesque comedy and wrestling, and it's like the greatest thing ever. Uh, you know, Chikara, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Again, these are all – seek these out. These right. are all different brands of wrestling, maybe oriented to you, right. the fucking uh, 30-year-old whatever right. you are. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. That isn't digging. Because it is fun to make fun of stuff, and it is fun to complain about stuff, but – with the realization that as you're complaining about WWE, like you said, they're making billions yeah. because there are millions of people who want what they are right. giving. He's doing something right. He's yeah. clearly Also, to that end, I think part of the – you got to give credit to the Rock and Wrestling Connection at the time is not only getting the kids in but bringing in the, that nascent MTV mm-hmm. generation sure. and uh, you know the wrestling album. 
which I own, still own, and I will attest that you played the Rod, the Roddy Piper song, mm-hmm. which I still think is a really good, like, kind of funky post-punk song. Yeah, that. and the well, Jimmy Hart song is based off of? That one I don't know. So that's... For uh, Everybody is the, is well, the Piper track, right? I went, yeah. Man, you guys might know this, because I, I have it on my computer, but it's a song called Fuck Everybody. Uh-huh. Uh, mm. And I, I don't know who it's by, but Blue Meanie uh, oh, yeah. sent sure. it to me, because he, like, I've been looking for this song for years, and Blue Meanie's like, oh, this is the song. And it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, God, I came into the words, but it's like, for everybody, for everybody. And Piper being the heel that he was, and everybody, essentially he was saying, fuck everybody. You know, so it's based on an actual, a previous song called Fuck Everybody. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to link that in the, it's a great song. I played it on, like, as an Easter egg on one of my episodes. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Maybe I was talking about Piper. And usually I put something at the end of the episode that, I, you know, I don't even address it. I just throw sure, it sure. out yeah, of yeah. it. Um, I was giddy when he showed up at uh, Storage Wars the other day. <laughs> so I heard. So they I found heard. a kilt. So they had to bring him in as the expert. So <laughs> not produced at all. Nope. He <laughs> definitely knew exactly how much it was. That's much my, it you cost. Know, <laughs> speaking of not produced at all, I remember having one of the first big box Coliseum home video, like pre-WrestleMania 1 uh, you know, kind of videos. And they had, and I don't know if you remember the bit. It was Piper training. He was doing a match. It might have been a, a four WrestleMania where he was going to fight Mr. T and, right. and Hulk Hogan. And they had, well, they had um, that special on MTV. That might have been it. And they had yeah. Gene Okerlund interview and Roddy Piper's doing his training and he's, he's really into it. For the listener, I'm doing my training right now. It looks great. Um, but. This, this is what they could get away with at the time because audiences weren't so like TV savvy where like Piper was training at his hood down and all of how a sudden. How yoked up he was? Is that what <laughs> well, not, not only that, but how like Mean Gene Oakland taps him, taps him on the shoulder or something to get a comment and then the shot cuts to Roddy Piper going, ha! Ah. He looks at the camera and he goes, ha! And then they cut back to Gene Okerlund, you know, and it's, you know, clearly put together in editing and wasn't just the real... The, you just but ruined it, was, it for me. <laughs> the, the dream, I crushed you. I crushed your dream. Yeah. Um, but it's just amazing that, like, you would... Ne- watching it at the time, it was just amazing how much you could get away with. Sure. I think, and how they built this empire. I think they should go back editor. to that stuff. I, to, like, the yeah. cut, like... How fun would uh would like a digital short, right? Like an SNL digital short be on Raw, right? Instead yeah. of the tacky. One of the you know I I talk to some punk a lot, and one of the things I really hate is oh, CM Punk is a professional wrestler. For the listener, he's okay. the number one wrestler in the world, <laughs> and he's him and I started wrestling together. Okay. But uh man, you know that they've got a camera right in your face, and you have to pretend like there's not a camera right in your face right. in these wrestling shows. And uh, it does my head in. Like I always feel like you're telling you're you're telling the people that they're stupid, and you and I I feel that like it's acting like your audience are idiots, right? For thinking that that you don't know that there's a fucking camera right in front of you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is something that it it, there are. I've thought of that everyone of just like oh like if they just embraced like that we all get it. Right yeah. now, like, and we don't need to suspend that. the disbelief yeah, that, like, just, this like, argument is actually happening, and there just happens to be a camera there. Right, because capturing. you do have smart wrestler and smart writers there. Like, you know, and I know, like Matt McCarthy is like funny comedian. He was in there writing like for a while, yeah. and like, it's like, oh, I bet you he had some great ideas. That We're all shot that. down. <laughs> yes. Spe- exactly. Okay. Well, speaking of ideas, it is a machine. So again, yeah. what are we? <laughs> Could you talk to some of your favorite? 
worst gimmicks over the years? Uh, that, for me? No, no, no. That, that Scotty just Goldman? Gro- <laughs> <laughs> the Jewish wrestler? <laughs> the lovable, losable Jewish wrestler? <laughs> he sounds reformed, though. Yeah, that I, I, yeah, he must have. He didn't wear pay. Payus. Payus? or the stuff you're to fill in. He didn't have a yeah. box on his head that was wrapped around. That would have been a great... Uh, but, For the listener, I was a shitty Jewish wrestler <laughs> who wrestled four matches and got fired. Well, we can... I mean, that's talk about a worse gig. But right. I'm just just from growing up, like, and, and I, you know, if you don't want to offend anybody, or whatever, just no. like for the love of well, like... Some of the worst ones are now some of the best ones. Um, uh-huh. You know, I, I got what was I? I was listening to something, and it's uh, you know, Weird Al Yankovic. Yankovic is amazing. I always thought it was amazing, but they, you know, um, what was I? Listening? I was listening to a podcast with with Dana Gould on the way here, and he yeah. was saying that uh, um, you know, it was kind of nerdy to to like Weird Al back in the day, but now it's uh, he's like the coolest dude ever because yeah. everyone that grew up with him thinks he's the coolest dude and he's as hot as he can be right now or whatever. So it's kind of the same with wrestling. Is like yeah. back in the day, it was like, oh, that's a weird one. But now you're like, Outback Jack was the coolest fucking wrestler in the world, <laughs> right. you know? The Crocodile Hunter. Oh, wait, what about, wait, what? Doink was the best. Yeah. No, wait, not to be confused with Skinner, who was also kind of a Crocodile Sk- Hunter. Yes, he was an Everglades wrestler. <laughs> you know, Skinner, Steve Kern, he, he was my trainer for a couple of years when I was in the, the WWE system. And he told us the story of like, he had been wrestling for 20 years uh-huh. and uh, he never wrestled for the WWF and he was friends with Hulk Hogan and maybe Macho Man Randy Savage. And they were like, they set up this meme with like Vince to get him a job after 20 years of hard work. You know, he tried long, uh, man, there's, I could dive into the world of Steve <laughs> Kern. He was actually through the list. Now. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, he, he, in, he invented. Uh, a tag team genre called the blowjobs, uh-huh. which was the, uh, the, the fabulous ones, which was he would dress up like a, almost like a male stripper with a right. bow tie and a vest. And he was loved by the women and they drew money. They made money. You know, looking at it now, it's, it's key. It's, uh, like cliche and right. kind of kitsch, but like back then, Steve Kern, this man who became Skinner, uh, you know, he, he would, he made, the Memphis territory, a lot of money and himself, a lot of money. But anyways, 20 years, whatever. And he was just like, well, I knew Vince wanted characters at this time. And, and like real life, like I, you know, I, I go and I hunt alligators. So he's like, <laughs> he went in into Vince's office and like plopped down this giant alligator head. I gotta be me. Yeah. Right. And like, he was like, you know, that's going to be my shock value, but that's also what I do. Yeah. And like, he, yeah, he plopped it on the Vince's like his giant fucking alligator head. And then the next week he was. Skinner. He was Skinner. That's a- I, <laughs> I love my favorite of that era has got to be Man Mountain Rock, the grunge wrestler. The guitar wrestler? Yes. Yeah. Was- Rad Radford was of the same um, – Ra- I don't remember. Was he a Yo- WWE uh, – Rad Radford was yeah, Louis Spicoli and uh, he, can, he came into WWE – I'd say it's fresh in 1994. Again, they're mm. always a couple years late. Fresh off exactly. the, uh, the Nirvana. Like that, yeah, that's why I thought Man Mountain okay. Rock yeah. was like he had the beard, long hair. Was clearly going what for. It was like 95. He was yeah. wearing flannel. I cut thought he, off I thought he had. Off. I thought he had um, tie dye. No. Oh no, mate. You know what? You might be right. Yeah. I think he Red did. Radford had the had the flannel. Oh, he okay. So I might be conflating my two. Right. Hated his rock parents. You know, uh. <laughs> teen angst yeah. in the mat. <laughs> But he could still, you know, Irish rip, Irish, excuse me, Irish whip the hell out of it. You I w- got that right. I, won't, I guess I shouldn't make light of that he's now deceased. 
Yeah. Uh, well, this episode is going out to him too. Yeah, add, add, yeah same like Kurt Cobain. I guess. Add, add him, <laughs> add him to the list. Bastion Booger was one of, of my course, favorites. Yeah, ba- wasn't there? And um, what was he? Just dirty. Just was a, it yeah. like supposed to be like Revenge of the Nerds Booger or? Um, yeah, or but like Pigpen. His body was like, uh, like uh, those. He's, those balls at the gym, like the yeah, medicine sit ups yeah. on, yeah, right. that was his body. Just picture a, a flesh covered, colored, uh, inflatable giant ball with some like straps over it as right. his gear. And that was Bastion well, and, Booger. And, and there was also a father. There was a wrestling priest at one point. Yeah, father something. Uh, Friar Ferguson. Friar, Friar Ferguson. Yeah. This was really kind of getting I'll into say, the, the moment I family friendly. Legitimately, as a kid, being blown away was, and I don't know. Enough, and you can probably fill in when the referee became the wrestler. Oh, dangerous, Batman. dangerous Danny Davis, the black hair guy. Yeah, right? yeah, that was like I remember as a kid being like, Oh my god, he got sucked <laughs> into it, and now he's a wrestler. Oh. I can't believe that he wasn't a wrestler before. You know, some people would say that's a life lesson, you can do anything in this world, right? Yeah. Exactly. But not you, you were like, no. He got sucked in. I was just like, Oh, geez. You work hard enough, you can be a referee, and next thing you know it, you can move on up and up the corporate ladder and be a pro wrestler. See, oh, you could just be some schlub referee, and all of a sudden they make you wrestle. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. My first memory hurt. was actually watching my grandfather watching Starcade uh-huh. on TV. So, like, I was introduced to NWA, and I remember, I don't remember what Starcade it was. Was it the one with the. It was the uh, one with, like, the huge scaffolding. The scaffold and. Yeah. And a gorgeous uh, Jimmy Garvin was um, – and, and just seeing him, he reminded me of, like, one of my cousins. I was just <laughs> like – and because it, it seemed so – we – it just was so – you know, what it was like looking at um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated when you're a kid. And, like, you see the black and white photos. Like, who are these guys? They're not WWF guys. They're bleeding all right. over. Like, who is Abdullah the Butcher? Right. Like, what it's fascinating. There's, like, this, all, you know, bizarro world right. wrestling. So there's always, like, the that – for me, that scaffold match was always one of the coolest things ever. And I remember, yeah. like, I had the LJN dolls as a kid. Yeah, and, like I always wanted to like, and those were the rubber wrestling. Yeah. that everyone like that you have to remember those. And like, I'd like to see those show up on Toy Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a wrestler named Zack Ryder who was very popular. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he, I, I lived uh, with him in Louisville, uh-huh. and uh, he. He had an obsession with toys to where, like, he bought every single toy that came out. And, like, he had, like, three or four of all the LJN dolls, the old ones. And there's, like, there's, like, uh, maybe a hundred of them, 150 of Mm -hmm. them. But he, he needed, like, he went on eBay anyways and bought the whole set for $3,500. Even like, because like one had this and he needed right. this. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> those variants will kill you. Yeah. Those ones, the var- were, he knew all yeah, about this shit. <laughs> so could, I mean, could you talk to, I know you, you talk about your experience in WWE all the time yeah. on your show, but I think that that definitely fits kind of with the theme of the podcast. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say this. Another thing I was thinking about with worst gig ever in terms of worst gig ever. Um, when I got fired from WWE, mm-hmm. so think about my whole career, I'd been working. It was really, I was doing well. It was a, it was a progressive, moving up the ladder, not too fast, right. a kind of a slow climb to where eventually when I was 27, excuse me, uh, you know, I started when I was 18, when I was 27, I got signed to the WWE and, uh, and I've been doing the, for the 10 years, whatever, nine years, I've been doing the independence for so long. And then when I got fired and then, I knew like re- wrestling's all I want to do. Right. So when I went back to the independence and now all of a sudden a lot of my friends weren't there anymore and the guys that I came up with, those were some very hard shows to do. 
to get back in the groove because I'd been with the WWE. I'd been sure. in that, that corporate structure. I, I it just that was the life I knew for two years straight. Uh, and then I was back in these rinky-dink places and um back in music land yeah it really does yeah. feel that yeah, yeah go on yeah uh and it i remember like that was something i hated the most i remember when i got fired uh and i was you know very down and and, and i don't say depressed but if i was ever to be depressed right. that's when it would be um uh when i was in the the ring and wrestling it was the best feeling and that's why i knew i, I this was still for me right but what traveling to the shows all of it, but I think also in sitting in the locker room, looking at it's like almost like looking at these guys. Some of them being like, "Oh, you want to go to that awful place?" or "Or oh, what are you doing? You know, you're just going to get fired if you go." You know, looking at everybody, all of the wrestlers, and like I don't know if it was judging or just like I don't I don't even know, right. but that was just all through. My, and the, the, I'd say the first three months of doing the small shows after being fired from WWE was was hard, was taxing. Sure. Uh, was really, uh, you know, makes you question, I guess, what you're doing a lot. Uh, but in the WWE, I, I don't think that was a hard gig or a worst gig. The, the character they gave me was, was, the character they gave me wasn't awful. The opportunity that they gave me, I felt was awful. Right. So the opportunity of the gig was bad. The character just was what it was, but it wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to develop. Did you have input in the character <clears throat> or? I mean, what's what's input when your first match you lose in less than two minutes? Right. Your second match, you're a handicap wrestler. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you and it's, you're tagging with the guy who's lost every single match in the past ten years, right. Funaki, against uh, this this giant uh, Russian man who's destroying everyone. Like, so you didn't suggest to lose in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Your, your your fate is sealed. I actually, it's funny you say that. Uh-huh. Uh, recently, I I haven't made a pitch, but I've I've said like to some my friends there i said i think the way to get i think so how you can become a superstar these days mm-hmm. and again retro what's old is new uh you know what we grew on what was cool or whatever um i think if you go out there and you're the resident loser mm-hmm. and you lose every single match for two years i think the idea like just like old school when they'd be like john frank you know yes. and he had a satin jacket and raised his finger you know who was the guy with uh on piper's pit from Col- yeah, Franco uh, from, uh, Tony Williams or something. Tony Williams, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tony Williams. I lost every match, but I, uh, I'm still. <laughs> and that does—they don't have those guys nah. anymore. Jobbers. They don't have them anymore. Again, what's old is cool. I, and this is again, this is the psychology of wrestling. Right. And this, this is, uh, but it's also the psychology of uh, performance. And yeah. you know what I'm saying. So it's you can really dissect it any way. Uh, but if you were to go out there and lose every match. And, and just be known as that guy and kind of get that cult status within the system right. that doesn't have that. Yeah. I think the minute you, you get, you sneak a win or whatever, you know, after two years or three years of being a scrub, right. I think you'd be the biggest star in fucking yeah, wrestling. Uh, yeah. yeah. A perfect example. A perfect example of that is when the one, two, three kid right. debuted and lost every match up to a point when, and yeah. when Monday Night Raw first started. And then Razor Ramon took him under his yeah, wing. That's right. <laughs> Who was your favorite jobber from the, uh, well, Barry Horowitz, game? right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, as a Jewish professional wrestler. That's right, Barry. Not to be confused with Barry O, who was Barry, also one of my Barry O was my dad's favorite wrestler, is- actually. Yeah, <laughs> That's a fact. Who, he's a part of the uh, Orton family, perhaps? Yes, yes, right. yes. Um, uh, yeah, there's... Uh- being a Jewish kid from the suburbs of Chicago and loving wrestling and seeing that an actual Jewish person can be a professional wrestler, right. I think, was life-changing. Yeah. He oh, was yeah. he was the worst one. 
But he was a wrestler. Sure. And then years <laughs> later, Goldberg came out. Yeah, I was a little upset of, that he would beat everybody. Yeah. Like, I was like, listen, because I was like 17 or 18. Uh, yeah, I was sure, like, Goldberg, sure. I'm going to be in this game soon. All right. Stop <laughs> stealing the Jew thunder here, all right? Well, it's because growing up as a Jew on Long Island and being into, I mean. I, in Long know, Island. Uh, in Long Island. I, I actually grew up on the whole thing. <laughs> My visage was uh, um, very Jewish. Uh, but it was funny because when. When I started playing in band, I mean, all, most of my friends growing up were Jewish too. But like, when I started playing in bands, when like you the other saw guys Barbara in my band, Streisand. that was it. <laughs> that was it. Uh, um, it was just, it was always kind of a, a strange thing for me. And then when we were signed to Sub Pop, and we yeah. and we made a video, we put the video on YouTube, and then I started getting all these like anti-Semitic. <laughs> on the videos like whoa people actually give a shit not that i'm parading about like you know like, i'm not you know except for those couple of podcasts where you started off by there are there are a couple episodes where i do the uh you know the get off the prayer over YouTube, the is that what there it was it you, usually is that just straight just kind of jew you and your like, jew okay. face um but i would imagine that JF. that if, they, if they, sure. uh, jk you just uh, jk jf yeah. Just but kidding, even in wrestling, it seems like 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 profession like in sports, you know, the right. Jewish athletes and performers are definitely in a minority. I mean, we're in a minority oh, yeah, any way you sure. slice it. Yeah. But um, so yeah, that's got to be. So when they give you that Jewish wrestler gimmick, what's the reaction? Yeah, but that? I thought I was gonna. I don't have much to stand out. I don't look like John Cena. I'm not. Uh, I, I know my personality can get over, but I know that they weren't going to give that to me right away. So I needed something of you look at this guy and you're like, why is he different? Right. And I knew my performance and the way my wrestling style and all that, but I knew that like I wouldn't get that chance because I don't look like a crazy giant professional wrestler. Right. Uh, and so the one thing I did have that nobody had, which I always thought was a negative, but I was like, well, I do have this and nobody <laughs> else has this was I was, I was Jewish. So I, I would throw that out there every now yeah. and then. I wasn't afraid to say it. Um, on the fact that maybe they would be like, oh, this is why he's different. This is why we can push him. Maybe we were going to go tour Israel and we need this guy. You know, I don't know. Like, uh, we're hoping for anything. You could be wrestling on a kibbutz, you yeah. know, like, like in Lou. So, uh, speak, speaking to that, were you bar mitzvahed? I was. And did you have a theme to your bar mitzvah? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> was it wrestling? You know, <laughs> there's that point in your, and, and I talk about this in my podcast too, there's that point in your life where, uh, you get a little embarrassed of wrestling mm -hmm. and girls and pubes start popping out, you uh -huh. know, and, uh, at, which is 13 years old. Absolutely. And one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't have a wrestling theme <laughs> bar mitzvah. <laughs> I had six flags. Oh. Uh, roller coasters. Still pretty good. But I really, like, I really, and it was because, like, I didn't want, I thought that was cool enough. Like, oh, yeah. girls go to Six Flags. Right. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, and like, yeah. And so I'd say in seventh grade, like literally just sure. seventh grade was when I was like, oh, a wrestle I don't like wrestling. Right. And then like, I remember like in eighth grade and, and freshman year in high school, I really, really started embracing it where I was like, no, no, this is, this is my this thing. Is I, and, and so that, which plays a theme in my life of I never got those girls. They right. just, it always stuck with wrestling. So. But it's funny because even at that time, like 93 or so, it was sort of a... That was a dip a, in wrestling. Yeah, yeah that, that's, dip in that's wrestling. not... Uh, uh, that's definitely a fallow period. You, Personally, you picked a good time. Yeah, that was definitely like... I mean, who, I don't know who... It was the had, Anthony like, Michael Hall of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Which would have been the 1985 season yeah. if, uh, for, for the listeners. Uh, they just burn in hell at the end. <laughs> but I, I didn't even have... I, I don't, is that, that actually happened? Yeah, that's... Oh. I think it's either the last sketch... No, it's the last sketch where 
Lauren locks the entire cast into a room except for John Lovitz. And John uh, Lovitz is like, should I uh, go in there? And he's like, no, you come with me. Okay. And then the, it's the credits over a superimposed fire of them. That's burning. not telling oh, at all. And Lauren's got like a little mini mustache yes, right here. Exactly. Yeah. And so, then they were gone. But okay, so that's again, look at this. Perfect organic segues into comedy. Orgasmic. Or, it is orgasmic. <laughs> bathroom's right over there. Um so, you know, you've you've also talked on on Art of Wrestling about how uh funny doesn't equal money. But but uh I just don't, I, I don't I, talk about that. That's, a, that's but, something that's been it's, presented. It's a, to me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which clearly we disagree with. Yes. Um, but just the role of uh, just the role of comedy and what you're doing now, because you're also doing stand up as well. Mm. Okay, so you're not. So far, no, okay. okay. <laughs> I did uh, when Mick Mick Foley. They asked Mick to do uh, stand up at the Improv mm-hmm. based off of SummerSlam, and uh, the promoter there was like, "Oh, Colt, you're funny. You just been fired from WWE." <laughs> Uh, That's not, funny. You're not doing anything. Would you like to do a 10 minute set? And I was like, Oh, that'd be fun to tell some fun jokes in front of a wrestling crowd. And, uh, and I did it and it went really great and went really great with Mick and they started selling the show. And so like I started coming up with 20 minutes of 30 minutes of material. And, uh, to me, I, I don't consider it stand up comedy because right. I have too much respect for stand up comedians. Uh, I, I consider just telling, wrestling jokes to wrestling fans right. you know? sure. and and that's become my business is is wrestling humor to re- to wrestling fans whether it be diehard wrestling fans which is the main audience or even the casual wrestling fans because if you watch the my my YouTube show worst promo ever or perfect tie in uh, creative yeah. has nothing for you and marty my partner on that always wants to write these super smart wrestling jokes and I'm like, we can't. Like, it, it's got to be broad. Yeah. So if you're just some dude who kind of liked Hulk Hogan in the 80s and you watch this, you will get it. And so that's kind of been my theory when it comes to taking it outside the ring. When inside the ring, I'm, I'm getting, you know, it's... You have to be aware of your audience. Yeah. I, I talk yeah. about that actually in, in my sketch classes when I teach. Like, when we're talking about parody stuff where it's like you can have one joke for the super fans and then the rest of it think that, like, if you want people to watch it, Oh, like think of it in terms of like you know. So the the bears is that? Huh? Just one the bears joke? Yes, exactly. One solid the bears joke, (laughs) or it's sort of like the super fan. Yeah, what Pat Oswalt says about one one for the audience, one for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, it is one for the audience, one for you guys. Like it's like you have to, but I think that's smart to keep that in mind because yeah, it's for people who don't. Want to go into like fifteen minutes ago when we were going in depth of all about this. about Man Mountain Rock, <laughs> yeah. but but I think but that also speaks to the idea of the the beauty of podcasting in that when you just want to do a show about speaking to pro wrestlers and mm-hmm. and not having to worry about doing a for the listener right you know which I guess we technically don't have to do but we do because we it's because it's, it's hilarious every time. <laughs> Um, but the fact that we, that we can sit here and we can talk about Man Mountain Rock yeah. instead of you for an hour. Um, but I keep that in mind when I talk for my podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. I keep in mind that, and, and I've seen comments like that from people. Right. And, and I know that if, if it's to grow, I, I get it. I get yeah. that idea. If it is, and, and maybe you don't think that, but I, I do think that. And if it's to grow, uh, the, the diehards, and that's always how I've been rested. The diehards will, if it's good, they're all, they'll always be sure. with you. And you do have to go get the, the the outside circle if you want to make something successful and make it grow in numbers. Uh, I, again, I, I I usually say like uh, 
and I'm happy to say on Twitter, like, hey, if you don't, ha- I don't, you don't have to be my fan, leave. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I'm not begging for everybody. I'm not Nike or Reebok. I'm yeah. very niche. Yeah. So, uh, but sponsored by Nike. (laughs) (laughs) So you're kids, in other words. I'm not Nike or Reebok. You're British Knights. This podcast brought to you by Adidas. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I do feel if you can get engulfed in my world of comedy and wrestling and everything, I think you will enjoy it. And so if I could throw those nets out to people and I got to get them in somehow – and so, you know, but I can't go in, I can't get him by being like, uh, you know, King Kong Bundy wasn't the world class championship wrestling in 1983. You got me. Right. <laughs> but I do think yeah. it's like, it is a one for them, one for you. Like it is. There's a balance. I don't think it's ever complete. Like, yeah. I mean, like if we go off on a tangent of talking about some random hardcore seven inch yeah. from New Jersey in 1990. We, we reel it back we'll in. We'll remember you have to, wait a second. But, uh, no one's yeah. going to know about this except for 10 people. There's a balance and I think what I think what I equate it to is like I never get out I never get anything out of watching like a late night uh, talk show interview with a guest because they're there to promote sure. something. Mm-hmm. It's pre it's scripted whatever and I feel you have the outlet here if you want to really talk about anything and everything just podcasting exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh it's it's changed my life and my yeah. career yeah. yeah without a doubt yeah and, uh, and all i say is that uh it, it's my tv show mm-hmm. it's my outlet right it's 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 my every monday night uh you know people know who john cena is because he's on he every monday night he's on television for x amount of time and he's there weekly to remind you that he's there and alive and he's a wrestler and this is what he does and this is how he performs. And that the Marine is still available on DVD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> AKA John Cena running through a forest for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so, so podcast is, is my outlet and, 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 um, and it's my, it's a we, I think the, the idea because I wrestled for so long and I was always like, I don't get how people really knew who I was because I was never like in a town for every week or, right. you know, there was no rhythm to it. A little bit with Ring of Honor when we would come to New York every three months and Chicago mm-hmm. every three months. And eventually after five years, people were like on board. Uh, but the, I think the idea of weekly in your face, this is who I am. This is my show. This is my product is so important. I wasn't able to have that with WWE. Uh, and, and also if I was to have it, uh, you know, it'd be so watered down. It wouldn't be my vision. It would be their exactly, vision. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is my, sh- this is, uh, the show for people that can't afford shows or, or people that, you know, yeah. not my show. The, the idea of the medium of podcasting is there for, uh, for the people that don't get the developmental deals. Right. And I don't mean wrestling. I mean, in anything or don't get shows or don't get contracts or whatever. And, uh, but you know, you have something to give to the world. Yeah. And, um, and the, the good ones will seek through it and, and the people will find it and, and luckily, people have found my podcast, and it's uh, right. And I mean, the same answers that everybody gives with the podcast is you know, the crowd. You know, I, people know me; I, they come to my shows just to, to see me and talk to me, and and they've gone through my journey. And mm-hmm. like, I, I saw a comment of someone the other day who said something about the lines of like, "It's interesting." I first when I was first listening to Colt's show. It sounded like he really wanted to go back to WWE, and this was 2010 when I started my podcast. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to go back to WWE, and he was like, man, maybe I can get there back there. And he's like, through the evolution of the whole thing, you could tell he's really happy where he's at now. He doesn't want to go back. And like, I was like, whoa, I think he's right. right. And like, but this fan happened in like, 
he he picked up on that. Yeah. And how else? And however well, it, it also ties back into what we were saying at the very beginning about the internet essentially being responsible for everything that yeah. we're yeah. that we're doing. But it's really validating when you know you start this podcast. You're doing this because you want to do it. You enjoy it. It's you're being creative. You're you're having this outlet here, and people respond to that. And that wasn't necessarily even what you were going for. And it's really validating. You know, that's people will, will, you know, get something out of what you're doing every week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, to bring everything kind of full circle here, a question that we like to ask all of us. Bring everything a Bastion Booger body. (laughs) Now, of course, my mind is like, okay, before I even get to that full circle, your favorite worst WrestleMania match. The best worst WrestleMania match. So I I don't know, but, um, I mean, there's a lot of bad ones, but uh, if you watch Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels, I think it's WrestleMania 7 in Indianapolis. If you watch it very closely, and Adam Pierce is another wrestler, figured this out because he said he had uh, ear problems when he was younger, so he uh-huh. could read lips. So he oh. was, he said when he was a kid, he was watching this match and he sees Tito Santana go up to Shawn Michaels. They're face to face, like, you know, like 20,000 people around and they're just face to face. And then Shawn, Mi- or Tito Santana goes really quietly, he goes, you got a booger in your nose. <laughs> and then you see Shawn Michaels kind of wipe, like <laughs> casually wipe his nose. Yeah. It, it determined that. look on his face, but really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, oh shit, do I got a booger? And uh, that was a WrestleMania moment. That, not a lot of people know that. Right. But because my friend was deaf when he was a child, he uh, he picked that up and shared that with me. That is phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's all downhill from there. Yep. Uh, so a question that we do ask all of everyone coming full circle, Bastion Booger, what have you. What do you think of the word gig? Oh, um, yeah, I'm for it. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, have you guys done extensive research? Does it Every de- show. Does it derive from something? Is it Latin for... Uh, Giggerin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Giggerin. Giggerin. It it's up there no, with Junta. We, we just, we've seen, you know, we, we got interested in asking that because... Everyone's got a different take on it, and usually it will depend on uh, if you come from what music you do for a living. Yeah. Like honestly, like if you're, well, you to know, me, it's a show. Yeah, but also exactly. uh, if, 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 if in music terms, you a lot of times like if if you're coming from like a punk background, it's a show, not a gig. But if you're oh no, more, I meant yeah. the, the word gig to me means the word uh, right, yeah, right, show. right. But I'm saying like I, that's what we found out, and then like comedians are fine using the word gig. They're like, I've got a gig. Yeah, I'm okay with using that. Right. Yeah, and I. I've, uh, but also, it's to me. It's in the world of wrestling. I guess it's a booking, right? Uh, you know, if, if sure. you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna have me go do an interview or whatever, that's paying. Right. We you have know, a special. If the guest. phone's gonna call and I gotta pick it up, <laughs> you know, like right now I gotta go get this call, pick up this gig. You know, I got a exactly. gig. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm not against using it. I, I I'm okay with the word. Good. Well. Gig. Colt, listen. Of course, now gig and wrestling means something completely different. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, so uh, it's interesting when you say for it. the listener. Yes, I don't even know. Right, well, you're not listening. Oh, well, okay. um, <laughs> Colt, listen. You, I'm listening. You gave us all of these amazing stories. You're a journeyman. You, you're going all over the place, the world Globe at trot. large. Globe trot. You got the podcast. The you got trotters. the comedy stuff. All we want from you is to get home safe. That's it. That's all we want. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I guess it'd be good if I didn't die, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I hope you don't, buddy. <laughs> or, or get in a car accident. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Worst gig ever. 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 ever.